Uh, my name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors, and we're going to connect with some of the things that Eddie said there, but we really want to look at the Bible today also, and look at, we're looking at Acts in this series. We're looking at what is essential for the life of the church. Today, the issue is, what's our essential mission? And um, I don't know about you, but when my kids were little, they played, they played youth soccer, like the kind where everybody plays. Um, they played in the kind of league where you know, everybody's going to get playing time no matter how good you are, no matter how talented you are, whatever. So it's not the coach who's ever going to sideline the players, but at that age of life, the, the kids often sideline themselves, right? Because how many times did you see your six-year-old or seven-year-old playing soccer and like, they just stop to, to chase after the butterflies or they see something in the grass that is interesting or they come over to, to show mommy their little owie that they got and the whole rest of the game and the team and everything else is all way down there at the other end of the field. Well, six-year-olds get easily distracted from the game and, you know, who cares? It doesn't really matter because the stakes are low and, it, you know, uh, that's not very ultimate at all. But I thought about, so Christians can be like that sometimes, that um, we can get distracted pretty easily, but we're involved in a team effort that has a great deal of significance. In fact, it's eternally important. And Jesus has made it clear to us what the objective is, what the win is of that, and, and, and how we're, he's given us this purpose, this mission in our lives. And yet, some of us are just kind of chasing butterflies, investing in priorities that just are not as important you know, we're uh, letting somebody else carry the load and kind of doing our own thing in spite of uh, the mission that Jesus has given us. So today we're going to talk about what is this essential mission. You know, we're in the book of Acts, and we're looking at the early church to find out, kind of get our bearings a little bit for our culture and our age today. And what we're going to see today is how the early church, how they were on mission for Jesus and how effective they were, and then how they kind of lost their bearings and then what God did to thrust them back into involvement with the mission again. And we're going to, as we look at that and apply it to our contemporary culture, we're going to try to identify three ways that we get sidelined from being involved in the mission ourselves. Three ways that we get sidelined. The first one is that many Christians get sidelined by ignorance of the mission. Now, I, I want to be gracious here, but I just know a lot of us Maybe you came to faith in Christ and out of a personal crisis or you, you've embraced this, this new forgiveness of your sins, this new life that Jesus has given, but you, nobody ever really told you or you never really connected that, oh, what this involves, this new life that you've received, that this involves being part of a great purpose that God has in mind for you. So you're out there on the playing field and you don't even know there's a game going on. Well, that, maybe that's not your fault, but we're going to help you understand that today. And then some of us, we get... We have this sense of that the Christian life is more than just my desires and my needs. We have this sense of purpose, but we're not quite sure what it is because we look around and we see churches doing a lot of different kinds of things, and so we're not exactly sure what that purpose is. But Jesus made it really clear. Before he ascended into heaven, when he was meeting with his disciples, he gave them a very clear command, very clear marching orders and in fact, he gave it to them five different times, okay? And so we're going to see it in a couple places. One of them is Matthew 28. Jesus said to his followers, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. 
Now, let's break that down for a second. The main thing that he says to his disciples that, there is, that we are responsible for, he says, make disciples. And what that means is that we invite other people to become followers of Jesus like we are. That we go out and we find ways to introduce others to Jesus so that they can follow him too. There's three parts of this. Number one, he says, go. That means that we connect ourselves with people who don't know Jesus yet, that we get out of our comfortable little Christian bubble and we have all of our relationships with the Christians and we all do everything with Christians. And he says, you can go out to where other people are who don't know him yet. And then the second thing he says there is to baptize them. Baptism is the initial identification that a person has come to follow Jesus. It's not, it doesn't make you a Christian it doesn't save you or, or anything like that, but it's a symbol that shows to the public that you are a Christian, that you are a Christ follower. It's like, it's like my wedding ring. I put on this ring. This does not make me married, okay? But it's a symbol that I am married. It's a symbol of the commitment that I've made. It's a symbol that I, that I love this person and belong, belong to her alone. And so baptism is like that symbol that marks to the whole world that now I'm a follower of Jesus. And then the third thing he says is teaching these new disciples. Okay, so when a person comes to follow Jesus, that's not the, that's not the finish line, that's the starting line. And he says, just like someone, just like a newborn baby, when someone's born into this new life, we need to nurture them and take care of them and train them and how to live and all the rest. He says, with this we teach these new believers and not just teaching them knowledge, but teaching them, he says, to obey all that I commanded you. We're teaching, we're training them into a whole new lifestyle and that's part of what it means to make disciples. All these three, these three things together define for us what it means to make disciples. Now, <clears throat> the thing about this is that, that th- this is not optional. Okay, this is, Jesus gets to call the shots here. This isn't like, okay, um, you know, my daughter took me out to lunch uh, the other day for my birthday and you go to, into the restaurant, there's a, a the restaurant was actually open for dine-in, and it, there was a, a whole menu of options in there. There's like 28 different things I could choose, sandwiches I could choose from, and once I chose one, there was like five different sides I could choose from, and I could totally customize that meal, and, and a lot of us feel the same way about Christianity. So we say, man, okay, okay, okay God, I want great worship, okay, I want my, I, I love to worship God, I want to worship, I want great teaching and preaching, and, and oh, oh yeah, I want my kids to have a great uh, experience from in the church, you know, and, and so, but that thing about making disciples, nah, not so much. No, that, that's not an option for us. Jesus says that this is essential. It's definitely part of the Christian life. And so, that's why uh, he said it in another place, um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he, he said it, we want to look at Acts in this series, so I want to look at this. He says, to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, the main thing I want you to notice about this, again, it's not optional. He didn't just say, hey, some of you are going to do this, and some of you are going to go do something else. Is you'll be my witnesses if you're interested, or if this is your gifting, or if you're an extrovert, or if you're a super mature mega-Christian. No, he just said, no, all of you. But I want you to notice this. We're going to actually pay attention to this because we're going to have a quiz on this later, okay? Uh, I'm serious. I want to connect the dots for you. 
right? He says the scope of this mission is global, okay? It starts in Jerusalem. That's our hometown. That's where we live. We're sitting in Jerusalem right now for us. And then it goes to Judea, which is the surrounding region. And then Samaria is a place that's nearby physically, geographically, but it's culturally different. So, so that Judea would be like Utah. Maybe Samaria would be like the people in Utah who speak a different language than us or who are, who are immigrants or refugees or, or whatever it might be. And then he says, the scope, it goes all the way to the ends of the earth. Keep that in mind. I want, I want you to remember that for later. So this is where we get the idea at Alpine Church of a full circle Christian. There's, there's three parts of that. There's a whole circle. The first is that you have heard this message and you've embraced it. You've trusted Jesus uh, to be right with God. And the second part of, of that, the second phase, is that you're living a life that honors God. And so you're, you're interested in obeying God. You want to please Him with your life. But then the third part of it is when you actually embrace this mission yourself and you go full circle, we say, because in the first two phases, you're pretty much thinking about you and your relationship with God, but in phase three, you begin to think about other people and their relationship with God, and how is God going to use you to have influence on them. So a full circle Christian is not just someone who's prayed to receive Christ, but who is, or even who's living for God, but who is investing in other people. That's why we created PursueGod.org with the resources there to help make that possible for everyone. And so some of us are just, maybe we didn't know that this, this mission was given to us. We were a little bit ignorant of it, but now we know. So I want to talk about a couple of other things briefly that are also obstacles. The second one is <clears throat> that often Christians get sidelined by the wrong standard of maturity. And so here's what happened is that Jesus is meeting with his disciples and he's preparing them for, him, for, for leaving. He's going to leave them behind. And they had a different idea of what that would look like than he did. And so they had kind of an agenda they had in mind for what it would look like. And so they're kind of pushing Jesus on that agenda, and he had to re-steer them back to what his agenda was. So we just looked at Acts verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, you'll be my witnesses. Well, look at the two verses that go before that. In Acts, starting in verse 6, the apostles were with Jesus. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. So their idea is that, Jesus, this is, what it, this is our agenda. This is what counts. You need to fill us in. Give us all the information about the future and the times and all of God's plan and everything he's going to do. And Jesus said, you know what? I've got something more important for you. Let me steer you to this mission that, you have in mind, that I have in mind for you. So, you see, they wanted to know all this stuff. And if, if it had been up to them, perhaps they would have never left verse 7 and never got to verse 8, never got to the mission. So they're, they're kind of like what we might call, at least in this instance, what we might call consumer Christians today. And they, they had an agenda for Jesus. They had an expectation for Jesus, what they thought he should do for them. And what they thought he should do for them was fill them in on all this knowledge and all this information. And we could be like that today. And in fact, I think a lot of Christians have not really embraced the mission and have really, really made it their own because they have a different agenda for what the Christian life looks like. They have a different measure of maturity for the Christian life. So I went to the doctor's uh, office, my, just a routine checkup um, in, back in April. 
And um, so I went in for my check. You know how they do? They put you against the wall, and they, they measure how tall you are this time compared to last time. And you, then you step on the scale, and I got on the scale, and I looked at the big red numbers. It said 85. I thought, oh, how awesome, man. I've lost like 100 pounds. No, I knew. I knew better. Than that. I knew it was, it was measuring kilograms, not pounds. But what if I did not understand that? I looked at 85 and said, man, I need to start beefing up. I need to get eating more stuff so I can get my weight up. Well, that would be the exact opposite of what I really need. See, so it matters that you have the right way to measure, the right standard to measure. And for Christians, many of us, the standard that we use to measure, how are we healthy as a Christian, how are we mature, is the standard of knowledge. I think if you have more knowledge, you have more Bible details in your head, you know all the, you can connect all the dots, and you must be a mature Christian. Now, I'm all in favor of Bible knowledge. I think we should know our Bible and have a good working, uh, a working knowledge of, of what's in the book that God gave us. But if we're using the wrong measuring stick, we could get the wrong idea. So we all know people who know a lot of Bible, but they're not really living obedient to Jesus. They're not really living on mission, making any disciples or anything with the knowledge that they have. The real measure of maturity in the Bible is not knowledge, but love. See, Jesus uh, gave us these two great commandments. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. What do those have in common, right? Love, he says. And you, can, you don't have to have a ton of biblical knowledge in order to be able to love your neighbor well, do you? In fact, if I think the greatest, most loving thing that we can do for people is to make disciples because we're inviting them into an eternal relationship with, with Jesus, into forgiveness of their sins, and we're inviting them to become everything God created them to be and helping them to become full-circle Christians themselves. And so I want to just caution you about not adopting the wrong measure for what maturity looks like. That can sideline you from the mission that you really have if your agenda is one thing and his agenda is something else. Now, there's a third thing. And I kind of saved this one for the last. This is, I think, really important, that most Christians get sidelined from Jesus' mission by comfort. Now, Eddie, in the video, he mentioned comfort. Well, here's what was going on in Jerusalem in the, first, in the first church. They got going good. The Holy Spirit came like Jesus promised in chapter 2, and, and the church began immediately telling their whole city about Jesus and about uh, his death on the cross and his resurrection for them. People were coming to faith in thousands and just the church was growing rapidly. They, they really were doing the job that Jesus gave them to do. But before long, after a while, they kind of hit a snag. They kind of got stymied in that because as you read the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, you see that they, the disciples never ever really took the message outside of Jerusalem, outside of their home city. Right? They, they never went anywhere else. And so what God did was something very uncomfortable to help get them back on mission again. So let's jump forward to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In chapter 7, it talks about the very first Christian martyr. He dies in the last verse of chapter 7. Stephen is his name. And in chapter 8, verse 1, we read this. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And in the verses that follow, it says that they were, many of them were, were rousted from their homes and thrown into prison. Now, we hope that never happens in our lifetime, right, in our culture, in our day. 
But you know what? God was at work in that persecution. That persecution, even as, as horrible as it was, was really a blessing in disguise. Because what happened to the church? It says the church was scattered. Right? What happened was that thousands of Christians who were living their comfortable lives in Jerusalem suddenly were th- thrust out of the city, and where did they go? Do you see that? Where did they go? Here's the, here's the quiz I have in mind for you. Right? Where have you seen the Judea and Samaria before? Where have you seen that before? Right? We just saw that a minute ago when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's not until after chapter 8, you look in chapter 8 and chapter 9, you see churches established in Judea and Samaria, and it's starting to look like the commission Jesus gave them, but it took a persecution. It took God disrupting their comfort in a significant way for this to happen. And then in chapter 11, you see how it actually began to move, because of this persecution, it began to move all the way to the ends of the earth, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and even to non-Jewish people. I'm not going to read that, but you can see that it's starting to get out to where Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations. It's starting to look like what Jesus said. The point is that God took their comfort and he shook it up. Things were going pretty well in Jerusalem. They were focusing on all their internal stuff as a church. They'd kind of lost an outward focus. They were so focused on their own internal problems and issues, they kind of forgot that Jesus gave the rest of the commission after Jerusalem. And so God shook them up, disrupted their comfort in order to get them back on his mission again. And so we have a pretty comfortable in America, most of us, right? Uh, even before the, I mean, the, pandem- the pandemic comes and, and most of us, our first response is to hang on to our comfort the best way we know how, right? Like, like Eddie said in the video, we, we just default to comfort. Did you ever think when the pandemic hit, how might God use this to put his church on mission again? And then just as we're starting to get... Uh, Restrictions loosened, and we're starting to get comfortable coming out of the pandemic a little bit, and I can go out to lunch with my daughter again, and then suddenly, a a black man is killed by a police officer, and the nation erupts. And I just want you to try to think about this for a moment from the perspective of the mission Jesus gave us. How might God be disrupting our comfort And maybe, as Eddie said, maybe the comfort that God wants to disrupt for us is that we are so comfortable just being around people who look like us, who are a lot like us culturally. And and so maybe, I don't know what God's doing, but it could be possible, maybe think about this, that God is using this to disrupt our comfort so that we will engage in what would have been uncomfortable relationships with people of different nationalities and ethnicities and races for the sake of the mission. Let's try to learn to think of everything from the point of view of the mission, right? Because here's the thing. Your comfort is not God's highest priority for you. You realize that? Getting more and more knowledge is not God's highest priority for you. God can use you whether you know more stuff or not. And God actually may choose to shake up your comfort if that's what's keeping you from fulfilling the mission that he gave us. One practical thing. If you want to lean into this mission a little bit, we have a tool for that. It's called The Pursuit. You go to pursuegod.org slash AC for Alpine Church, and you'll see The Pursuit there. It's a way to train you to start 
The first steps in becoming a full circle Christian. The first steps in becoming someone who's equipped and prepared to make disciples of others. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Do it with a mentor. If you need a mentor, uh, talk to us. Talk to Pastor Jeff and we will... Uh, do everything we can to put you, uh, set you up with. If you've been through the pursuit already, I know some of you have, and you're ready to take someone else through it, let us know that so that we can let you help. You don't have to know everything because all you have to do is be one step ahead and God can use you to help someone else pursue Him. That's what we want to do today. So let's pray together. And then we have the privilege of, we talked about baptism. We're going ha- to have the privilege of, a, of witnessing one of those today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You have a mission for us, a purpose for us, and you're, you're really drawing us, inviting us to a life that counts for more. God, we realize that sometimes we don't get it. We, we, we need you to help us get it. We know sometimes, God, we have the wrong priorities as Christians, and we're just pushing an agenda that wasn't your agenda. And sometimes, God, we realize that we're just too comfortable to get out and, and take those steps of faith and exercise the calling you gave us to, to, to do. So help us today to embrace our next step, Father, to embrace whatever that next step is, to, to become uncomfortable if we need to, to do the thing that you've said counts more than anything else in the Christian life. So we trust you, Father, to lead and to change us, to work in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen. Amen.